Welcome to The Markets. Dateline, Chicago, Friday, October 2nd, would you believe? Hello again, Orion Samuelson with you and some other people will be joining us as well for our weekly get-together to take a look at market activity on Wall Street in feedlots and in wheat fields and other grains as well. And how about this week, as if we needed any more surprises, the announcement that came from the White House today that Donald Trump, the President of the United States, tested positive for COVID-19. And that sort of set the direction for the market activity for the rest of the day. The stock market closed lower as that uh, President Trump news hit the markets. The tech shares weighed heaviest on the indices, but the blue-chip Dow's losses were mitigated somewhat by gains in economically sensitive cyclical stocks. Despite today's sell-off, the S&P and the NASDAQ both gained 1.5% on the week, while the Dow ended the session today 1.9% higher than Friday's close. President Trump tweeted late Thursday that he had contracted the coronavirus and would be placed under quarantine, compounding the unknowns for an already volatile market. But stocks cut their losses after the White House provided assurances that Trump, while experiencing mild symptoms, is not incapacitated. But one analyst said this injects further uncertainty into the outcome of the election. My read is that markets have demonstrated an aversion of late, especially to uncertainty. Well, that's happened as long as I've been doing markets. They don't like uncertainty, but uh, they don't feel that it will have an impact on which candidate will win. And then stocks got a brief boost after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's announcement that an agreement to provide another $25 billion in government assistance to the airline industries was, quote, imminent. She said markets are also paying attention to the likelihood that another stimulus package would pass soon. And one analyst said if that happens, it could offset, at least in part, the uncertainty generated by the COVID news. House Democrats passed a $2.2 trillion fiscal aid package Thursday. That bill unlikely to be approved in the Republican-controlled Senate. And partisan wrangling over the size and details of a new round of stimulus have stalled. Over two months after emergency unemployment benefits expired for millions of Americans. Data released today showed the recovery of the labor market could be losing steam. The U.S. economy added 661,000 jobs in September. That number was fewer than expected and the slowest increase since the recovery began in May. 
payrolls remain a long way from regaining the 22 million jobs lost since the initial shutdown, and the ranks of the permanently unemployed are growing. The Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, fell 134 points today after being down more than that, and it put it at 27,682. As trading gets underway for the fourth quarter, the S&P 500 lost 32 points to end the day at 33.48, and the NASDAQ Composite dropped 251 points to end at 11,075. Of the 11 major sectors in the S&P 500, Tech suffered the biggest loss, while real estate and utilities enjoyed the largest percentage gains. In a reversal from recent sessions, market leaders Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft were the heaviest drags on the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ today. Commercial air carriers rose on news of a possible new round of government aid. With the S&P 1500 airline index rising two and a third percent. But in other stock news today, Tesla shares dropped seven and a half percent after the electric car maker's third quarter vehicle deliveries, while reaching a new record, did not overwhelm investors. And the S&P 500 posted six or new 52-week highs and one new low. The NASDAQ Composite recorded 56 new highs and 34 new lows. So that's what happened uh, here in the U.S., but what about global market activity today? What kind of reaction did we see there? The global stock market slumped, investors piled into gold and the Japanese yen today after the COVID-19 announcement from President Trump. That bombshell announcement in the global market spurred risk-off moves among investors already concerned about the coronavirus relief package aimed at bolstering a U.S. economy that has lost steam as seen by slowing job growth in the September payrolls data. Gold posted its best week in eight, even after cutting gains, while the yen advanced sharply before retreating a little bit. Taking a look at the oil market, uh, oil market lowered today. The uh, concerns over the U.S. stimulus package adding to demand fears. So oil prices fell more than 4%, posted a second weekly decline after the president's COVID-19 announcement. Benchmark Brent and U.S. crude each posted a second straight week of losses. The uncertainty surrounding the president's health added to the series of uh, worries and jitters, including a lackluster U.S. unemployment report and increased supply from major oil producers. And so the oil market today did move lower. And then taking a look at the gold market, 
Well, it posted its best week in eight, even after cutting gains while the yen advanced sharply before retreating just a bit. Some of the other news, well, let's look ahead to next week and see what's on the calendar for activity in the marketplace next week. The uh, uh, U.S. economic schedule, on that schedule on Monday, the IHS market's final reading of its flash composite PMI index output that tracks the manufacturing and services sector Our September report is due on Monday. And again, a lot of activity on the part of Federal Reserve Regional Bank presidents. But again, all of those appearances will be virtual because of the COVID-19 situation. And then as we look at Tuesday of next week, the U.S. trade deficit in August, expected to widen to $66.2 billion. It had jumped to a 12-year high of $63.6 billion in July, driven by a record surge in imports. Other activity on the economic report, job openings and labor turnover survey, they call that one jolts, for August is due on Tuesday. Job openings, a measure of labor demand, jumped to 6,618,000 in July. Consumer credit expected on Wednesday, expected to go up to $14.3 billion in August. That would be up from $12.25 billion in July. And then data for initial claims for state unemployment benefits scheduled for release on Thursday. Initial jobless claims for the week ended October 3rd are expected to jump to 823000 That would be up from, or rather down, from 837000 in the week before. On Wednesday, U.S. President or Vice President Mike Pence and Democratic Vice Presidential nominee Kamala Harris will participate, at least at this moment, in the Vice Presidential debate. That debate will be at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City and will be moderated by Susan Page of USA Today. I don't envy her a bit after the performance in the presidential debate that took place uh, last week. Domino's Pizza is scheduled to release third quarter results on Thursday. The pizza chain expected to show another quarter of comparable sales growth, and that's again helped by demand for delivery and carryout of comfort food amid the COVID-19 pandemic. So investors will watch for the company's forecast as the health crisis rages on. Canada expected to release trade balance data for August on Tuesday. Country's trade deficit to our neighbors to the north grew to $2.45 billion in July. Canada's data for September is due on Wednesday. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell 
Tuesday, scheduled to speak before a virtual annual meeting of the National Association for Business Economics. And the Reserve Bank of Philadelphia President Patrick Harker expected to speak on machine learning before the Global Interdependence Center, Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning. Boy, it took a full page of their program to put that in print. Then on Wednesday, Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond President Thomas Barkin is expected to participate in the state of agriculture in the 5th District and beyond. And on Thursday, Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond President Thomas Barkin expected to speak before the Investing Rural America online event. It's hosted by the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond. And so there will be no earnings uh, beginning next week, but uh, the Federal Reserve Bank presidents will be at many locations virtually, not in real life. So that's a look at Wall Street. What about agriculture? Well, Mike Pearson and his guest are going to take a look at that, and uh, they'll be talking about some of the reports that are due out next week, but particularly reacting to some of the export reports of this week. All that with uh, Mike Pearson and his guest when we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Let's turn our attention to the markets to help us make sense of what's going on. Darren Newsom from Darren Newsom Analysis is joining us. And Darren, when we take a look at this past week, midweek, we got a little bit of a surprise when USDA released their quarterly grain stocks and showed corn stockpiles down considerably from a year ago. Was that a surprise to you? No, not really. Uh, You know, and it's always fun to kind of watch these quarterly stocks reports play out. Yeah, you know, USDA came in at, what, I think, something like 1.995, just slightly below 2 billion bushels, down from its own estimate of about, what, 225 or something like that in its September round of supply and demand. So I think that's really what gets everybody all worked up. If they've been watching future spreads, if they've been watching basis in the cash market, this really wouldn't have caught them by surprise. In fact, based on my analysis of the cash market, what I see is that really USDA is still about 250 million bushels too large. They're overestimating ending stocks by about 250 million bushels. So this is a consistent thing. This is systematic that we've seen over the last three to four years, running about that three to 400 million bushels uh, above what the reality of the situation is. It's just always kind of fun to watch the reaction when it happens in a quarterly stocks report. Yeah, and the reaction can be very swift, and it can certainly take people by surprise. We saw the December corn contract push up above 380 this week. Darren, is $4 in the cards for December corn? You know, it could be, because of the fall crops, 
the one that got hit the, the hardest, the one that I still think looks the strongest is corn. Uh, you know, it's got it's got a really it's got a strong move going on here. We've got buying coming in from the right side, from from the commercial side to lead this what lead the lead the way. Non-commercials have built up a, a, a large net long futures position, so we do have buying coming from every angle. But what I really like about the market right now is basis is holding strong despite the fact that harvest is going on, that we continue to see harvest progress. I don't think the yields are there. Uh, I think we're going to see as we get into this thing, the production is going to keep, production guesses are going to keep getting trimmed. And that would really fit with what the narrative of the market is, what the cash market's actually showing us at this point. Well, and Darren, you mentioned harvest is underway. We're seeing combines starting to roll. We're just starting to get some yield reports out. But a lot of growers Mm -hmm. are uncertain about what's in the field. As we watch this rally over this past week and perhaps heading into the future, how aggressive should growers be getting corn sold ahead of harvest? Well, knowing U.S. producers don't like to sell corn, and given the fact that there's still a little carry in the future spreads, if we look at the Dece March, or all the way out to the Dece July forward curve, we still see a little bit of carry. So that's you know that's going to invite them to put the corn on in on-farm storage and just hold it for a while. See if we continue to see basis appreciate. Let's remember, seasonally, basis tends to appreciate up through about the third week of February when all of a sudden we've got the next South American crop to deal with. So I think we're going to see them stick uh, stick you know the bushels in the on-farm uh, storage. They will sell anything that's left over. But I don't think that's going to I don't think that's really going to hit the market all that hard. Okay. All right. So this will be we'll see it in uh, late December, February, I think, is when you were mentioning we could see prices come back down. Well, that's when we could start to see some basis weakness. Uh, You know, it could be towards the end of this year if we see a lot of of sales uh, getting ready for the next year or possibly into March. We saw the wheat market go crazy midweek. What happened? That's a great question. I have no idea. Uh, it was an explosive rally. If, we, if people want to tie it to quarterly stocks, it wasn't quarterly stocks. Uh, the U.S. dollar index also showing that it's going that's establishing a long-term uptrend now for no reason whatsoever, but it looks like the dollar is going to go higher. There really wasn't anything out there that should have sparked this 30, 40-cent rally in, so, in cumulative wheat. Yet we got it. And so, you know, if I'm a, I'm a producer, if I'm happening to hold anything left over uh, from last year's crop, from the 2020 crop, I'm selling it. I also heard a lot of merchandisers telling me they were getting some new crop, 2021 winter wheat sold yesterday as well. So, you know, a lot of selling going on in this market. Really, I don't know what pushed it 30 to 40 cents higher, but it's a nice little gift. You need to take advantage of it. Absolutely. Feed the bull when you can. And similar story going on in the soybean market. Same as corn and wheat. We saw a pop midweek after the quarterly grain stocks. Darren, we saw November soybeans come close to 1050 just a few weeks ago, and they missed it. Are we going to get close this time around? You know, we, we could get close. I, I'm not convinced that the, I know there's everybody wants to sing the song that, you know, uh, soybeans rallied on, on the quarterly stocks. Number. I really don't think that was it. I think what happened was we got past the last bearish hurdle from 2019-20 when USDA could have really surprised with like a seven, eight hundred million bushel number. It didn't happen. And now the focus is how dry it's getting in Brazil. And that's the big issue right now. So as long as it stays dry in Brazil, as long as we've got commercial buying, uh, you know, we've got no carry in the future spreads. This is going to continue to push this market higher. Could it hit 1050 again? Yes. I'm actually thinking we could start to see some pressure build, more more cash sales here as harvest goes on in the U.S. Nobody's going to hold soybeans. There's no carry in the market. There's no reason to hold soybeans. They want to hold corn. So they're going to sell cash soybeans. I think we could see some 
consistent basis coming in the wheat market. I think we could see the uh, the cash market start to break down a little bit, and that should pull the futures lower. Interesting. Darren, when we take a look at this, uh, the past month's rally, a lot of it has been spurred by reports of sales to China. Now, of course, you have mentioned in the past that these are sales for the future. They can yet be canceled. What are your thoughts here on all of China's buying? Does it seem legitimate? Well, it, it's legitimate. They are buying because, you know, they basically ran Brazil out of available soybeans with record shipments over the previous six months. So they've been buying and they've been shipping some from the United States. But they're also building up these stocks, uh, the, these sales that they can pull on if they need them, if there is a weather problem in Brazil. Remember, we're just a secondary supplier. And so they're building up their secondary supplies in case there's a problem with their primary supplier. And given the dry weather we're seeing so far in this spring of South America, you know, it's, it's a real concern. They're comfortable with what they've bought. They'll probably continue still to buy a little bit here and there. The real question, again, will be shipments, not just here over the next couple months, but further down the road. Do we see these sales start to get canceled once Brazil has more supplies available? All right. Well, Darren Newsom from Darren Newsom Analysis. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-132. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Agriculture moving into the harvest season and full gear with good weather for the harvest early. Uh, This coming week, we'll probably see the combines rolling at high speed across much of the grain harvest area. And uh, also some reaction to what Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue had to say at his appearance at a farm town hall meeting in Wisconsin that took place on Saturday. Sonny Perdue had a couple of interesting things to say. Number one, China, he said, may fall short of annual agricultural product purchasing commitments made in its phase one trade deal with the United States due to, quote, non-agricultural trade issues. Secretary Perdue said, I'm not sure they're going to make it, but they are trying. And he spoke at a town hall farm meeting at Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. And he said, non-agricultural issues can get in the way. China committed to importing $36.5 billion in U.S. farm products this year in the trade deal that was signed in January. But lagging purchases during the first half of the year cast some doubt on the goal of increasing imports by more than 50% over the levels that we saw in the year 2017. It was unclear which trade issues Secretary Perdue believed were obstacles to the agreement. A series of hurdles have emerged since the Phase 1 deal was implemented, including a threatened U.S. ban on popular Chinese-owned social media app TikTok 
and an executive order signed by President Trump ending preferential economic treatment for Hong Kong. Chinese imports of U.S. agricultural products totaled just $8.6 billion from January through July. That, according to the latest uh, USDA trade data, buying has accelerated considerably in August and September, including around 12 million tons of soybeans and 4 million tons of corn, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. As a matter of fact, uh, let me take a closer look at what's been happening to uh, exports of corn and soybeans from the United States to not only China, but other countries. Because the new U.S. corn and soybean marketing year, just a month old, and the progress toward meeting big annual export targets is more advanced than normal in terms of sales largely due to the Chinese demand. U.S. corn and soybean export bookings stand at record levels for this early stage. That bodes well for the expectation that the 21 shipments will rebound sharply from the year-ago levels. About uh, half of the combined uh, 2021 corn and soybean sales are to China, although if you take China and unknown buyers from the mix, the situation is more impressive really for soybeans than for corn. As of September 24, the United States had sold a combined 62.8 million tons or 2.5 billion bushels of corn and soybeans for export by the end of August 2021. That's 37% larger than the previous record for that trade date that was set back in 2018. Sales of corn and soybeans by September 24th of this year, also at record levels individually, and compared with the past years, we're finding that it's uh, stronger than we had seen. And with U.S. corn and soybean harvest still in progress, it'll be better to scrutinize the shipments a bit later. The recent flurry of Chinese sales may be distracting, but traders must remember to monitor business to other buyers since those buyers also account for a huge portion of U.S. exports. The corn and soybean harvests are still in progress, so that's why we'll wait a little longer to take a look at some of those comparisons. The situation with uh, uh, some of the other countries, like Mexico, Mexico had a poor corn harvest last year. This year's crop is seen up 12% to a new record. That is a factor in the country's reduced interest in U.S. corn. Japan, another top U.S. corn buyer, and it had 2.9 million tons booked through September 24th. That's the most for that date uh, for Japan since 2011. Only 18% of 2021 U.S. soybean sales through September 24th are to buyers other than China or unknown, which is comparable with the 16% observed on the same date 
in 2016. The U.S. Department of Agriculture pegs both 2021 corn and soybean exports at three years highs, some 59.1 million tons for corn and 57.8 million tons for soybeans. And uh, the um, soy is up 32%, and corn is up uh, some uh, some 26% on the year, respectively. So we do have a lot of activity left, but the first thing we have to get done is get this year's crop in the bin. I keep saying that you don't measure the final figures on the corn and soybean crop in the United States until it's in the bin. So if we can continue our pretty good harvest weather that we have seen so far, that will help, particularly the farmers in Iowa and other parts of the Midwest who were affected by the derecho about a month ago that took out grain bins and flattened corn stalks, particularly in Iowa. And we have certainly seen that in the Iowa crop condition reports that uh, are now coming our way on a weekly basis, maybe for about another month or so. So uh, looking at the closing prices for livestock at the Mercantile Exchange, the October lean hog contract up 32 cents, the October live cattle contract down 32 cents, and the October feeder cattle contract down $1.12. And the closing grain market, December wheat ended up three cents a bushel today. The December corn contract ended down three and a quarter cents, and the November soybean contract ended three and a half cents lower. So that's not everything that happened, but it's a lot of what happened. As always, I appreciate your joining us for our weekly look, and I look forward to your company a week from now on The Markets. (music) 